0: Welcome to The Bounce, Sports Talk with Spin, distributed by your public studios. I'm your host, Jill Yesko. This is the podcast where sports becomes eclectic. We talk about everything from fascinating athletes you've never heard of to taking a deep dive into sports issues that don't always make the news. So whether you're an athlete, a fan, or just want to know more about sports, The Bounce has got you covered. Some years ago, I wrote a short story called The Strongest Little Girl in the World. It's about a 12-year-old girl in the Midwest who could lift cars and unbend horseshoes. She's happy to be strong, but finds that being strong isn't always a blessing. Today's episode is about two legit strongest little girls in the world. One came by her strength naturally and became an Olympic, super heavyweight weightlifter and coach. The other became accidentally strong and use that strength to become an aerial artist and theatrical performer. Both Cheryl Hayworth and Maura Namanis talk about being super strong and what it's like when you're the strongest little girl in the world and everybody notices. That's the sound of Cheryl Hayworth during a weightlifting competition. She knows what it's like to be intentionally strong. She's a three time Olympian, earning a bronze medal at the 2000 Olympics in the Super Heavyweight Weightlifting Division. She's been inducted into the USA Weightlifting Hall of Fame and is now a weightlifting coach and a celebrated artist. Cheryl Hayworth, welcome to The Bounce.
1: Thank you, it's really excellent to be here. It's an honor and a privilege. Uh, Jill, I know we've seen each other on social media, et cetera, for some time, and it's a lot of fun to be working with you.
0: Well, same, back, back at you. I have a pretty cool kickoff question. Uh, since this episode is about strength, I wanna know when did you realize that you were strong? When did that strong gene
1: kick in? And how'd you feel about it? I do have some very distinct memories as a kid being told I was strong. I I remember being at the edge of our swimming pool. We lived out in the country in a town called Bloomingdale, Georgia, which is about, about half hour west of Savannah. And we were just absolutely. So we were in the country in the country. You know, we we're at the end of a cul-de-sac in a really long private driveway surrounded by the woods. So I spent a lot of time in our swimming pool, spent a lot of time in the woods, chopping down trees and doing, you know, just playing properly outside. And, uh, you know, in that process, um, wrestling around again, back to the pool memory, I remember wrestling around with probably my sister and we were kind of just pushing each other and my mother commenting, gosh, you're strong, you know, and then it graduated to being on the school bus and arm wrestling boys and winning and. Uh, I never really seemed to truly shame anybody. It, even though I won, the boys who surrounded me sort of appreciated it. Um, nobody ever got really mad at me. Everybody was like, wow, Cheryl just beat you in arm wrestling. Cheryl's strong, you know, cause nobody could really argue with that. Right. You know, and I wasn't just strong. I, I wasn't awkward either. I could move around and and do things with my body and I wasn't ashamed to do it because not not doing so, I found it pretty boring. But was there any
0: like one defining moment, maybe when you were arm wrestling or when it really hit you like, wow, I I am strong. In fact, I might be stronger than everybody else around me.
1: The first time I think that it was really, uh, you know, the sense of being strong and and really looking around and going wow maybe maybe this is a particular talent was was when it it first began to be quantified right being strong is just this intangible thing to us in in the normal everyday world you know like (laughs) I can get a a handful extra groceries than maybe my sisters can but what does that mean and and when I was 13 years old, and I and I walked into the weightlifting gym for the first time, and suddenly I could measure what everybody was talking about. I think really that probably was the first time that it, it was so objectively put into perspective. You know, I was being measured against peers. Uh, you know, they were my own age. They were a similar body weight and I excelled at weightlifting. So, so that probably was it. Otherwise, before then, it's just, you know, it's just this idea you're, you're strong, but what does that mean?
0: Yeah. So muscles are now considered quote unquote sexy for women, but what I'm still seeing is there's a really, I think so. I
1: I, mean, I I, think so too, very much so, but I, I don't know if, I might take issue with uh, just kind of ticking that off the box and saying that you know uh, generally the culture feels that way because I'm not so sure it does not yet anyway it's getting better um, but yeah judgment is still out there a lot of a lot of people are still very uncomfortable with women being strong. What you do, know, what do just do you take think? a look at social media comments. Well, what do you think that's, that's about?
0: Just fear that we're going to take over?
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, distilled and oversimplified, yes. I mean, but as human beings, we're all condition to maintain the status quo and that includes women at times right uh, so we you know for example th- the amount of coverage that women receive in sport is like negligible compared to how much men's sport is covered um, and and when you say that, you know, muscles are now considered sexy. Uh, There's also the issue of women being objectified in sport when they are allowed to participate in it. Um, So it's really, really complex. It's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry to, like, not let you ask your question. That's so obnoxious of me. Um, but, but I just, I wish so much that what you were saying, and I appreciate your comment because I agree with you. Uh, and, and I think more people do agree with that statement. For example, the people who are listening to this podcast probably would all agree with that.
0: What I see is there is an acceptable range of being muscular, which means you can have like the CrossFit muscular body but you can't get any farther than that. And often, I mean, that kind of body doesn't necessarily translate into, into strength, correct?
1: I mean, right, there, there are different ways to, to train your body to look that way. It just depends on your goals, right? Somebody who does physique competition, for example, uh, and somebody who competes in the sport of Olympic weightlifting, Um, They're completely different methodologies, though some of the results may be the same. For example, you know, nice big legs and glutes. Um, But but right, you know, muscle size does not necessarily translate uh, to to strength. So was that what? your question? Was that your final question? Should I have um, you sound like in jeopardy? <laughs> Is that your final <laughs> that was, answer, Miss Yesko? <laughs> I'm sorry that, that was a, that was another annoying way to to answer. Um, maybe I lost part of, of what you wanted me to talk about, but um, I'll, I'll shut up now.
0: No, it's fine. Let's just, let's just keep let's just keep rolling through it because sure. I, I actually like the flow of this conversation. We kind of have, have gone from more of the abstract, and now we're going to go into the more specifics to talk about weightlifting. So one of the things I found really fascinating when we were talking about weightlifting is how you said to me, so much of it really is about your attitude. Like if you think this is too heavy for you to lift, there's no way you're going to be able to lift it, even if you're 100% physically capable of lifting it.
1: True? True. True. And what what I meant by that specifically... Were those instances of, uh, you know, Olympic weightlifting is unique. Let me just preface this by saying that the performance of the two lifts, the first lift is called the snatch. You have a really wide grip on the barbell and the whole thing takes place in less than a second. Um, And you have to, in, in other words, you have to commit to it. And the clean and jerk, most people are fam- more familiar with this because it's utilized in, in a lot of sports. Um, you know, both lifts are, but the clean and jerk is is the two-part where you bring the barbell to your chest and then the jerk portion is from the chest overhead to, to finish that lift. And, and they require the execution of a high, high, high level of technique. In other words, it's not done slowly. There's no time to think about it. When you do it, it's critical that you don't. You cannot have a distinct thought and tell your body to do it because if that happens, it's already been too long. So we rely on muscle memory. We rely on how we train and, and developing confidence in the gym uh, in order to step onto the competition platform and lift more than we've ever done, or that's the hope anyway. And and what I meant specifically by that comment, if you don't think you can do it, you're not going to do it. Is in that moment where you're super stressed out, you go out, everybody's looking at you, you're going down, you know, uh, to get your grip on the bar. And there's a little voice in the back of your head that that voice where you've decided to commit you, you have to either either you're going, Yes, let's do it, you attack it, that's still the attitude that you're, you're given no matter what, you're also trained to sort of project this attitude. So you're going through those motions no matter what, but on occasion. There's fear. I mean, there's always fear, but on occasion, that, that little voice inside your head will say, you can't do this, or something hurts. Uh, there's, there's some additional element of fear that makes you just not want to try. But what you're doing through your attitude and your walk, and you're going through your motions, you're, you're putting chalk on your hands, you're psyching yourself up, and you're trying to convince yourself that you can On occasion, I've been able to surprise myself and essentially say screw it and throw caution to the wind and just out of nowhere been able to to, to do it. Most of the time, your, your brain will hit the abort button. And you'll get somewhere in the middle of the lift and you'll just kind of, you'll just drop the bar. You'll space out or you'll just, you just won't commit or you'll miss it in some classic way where your coach and you both know you weren't really trying.
0: You're listening to The Bounce, Sports Talk with a Spin. I'm Jill Yesko. A quick break, then we're back talking to two super strong women who don't mind throwing their weight around. More in a moment. You know, it's interesting to me that Olympic weightlifters, you guys are like actors doing a athletic soliloquy. You get up there, you're on a podium, right? The spotlights are all on you. You have judges in front of you. Um, Does that, what does that moment feel like? Do you, are you able to block people out? Does it feel lonely or are you just like so in your game that you don't notice anything?
1: That's a really good question. Uh, I thought a lot about that when I was watching the Olympics this year. And I had the opportunity to do commentary for NBC Sports. And it was an honor just to have the excuse to be on like a five-second delay watching all of this in real time. And I hadn't watched the Olympics, not weightlifting In any of the games, I think the last session I sat down and watched was my teammate at the Olympics in 2008, and I just ignored it completely after that. So I had to come face to face with this thing that I've been ignoring. So I felt all the feelings and I was watching all the athletes as they approached the bar, what their routines were, some of them pacing back and forth, some of them actively, because a, a weightlifter has one minute to approach the barbell, which feels like an eternity, I'll tell you, because you're already sort of, you've had your last warm-up, and you go to sort of a neutral area where you sit down, and you you essentially wait for your name to be called, so you're, 90% of the time, you're prepared, and then they put a minute on the clock, so you have this whole minute to walk up, to approach, put chalk on your hands, and I I was laughing because I thought about how I normally did it, which was walk up the steps, chalk up, walk almost directly to the barbell. Because some athletes will approach from behind the barbell. They'll face the barbell from behind the stage and then make this like 90 degree turn, right? You know, so they'll walk and they'll turn 90 degrees and then approach the barbell and it's uh, much more dramatic that way, but I didn't really have time for that. Um, and, I, and I always wondered to myself, why well, didn't make it more dramatic? Uh, and really just, you know, I was comfortable up there. Uh, I don't think I looked like I was in a rush, but I certainly didn't pace around. And some, some athletes, and there's a clock at the, at the front of the stage facing the athlete, usually at the left corner. And you can glance over and you can see how much time you have. And sometimes I would wait because there's a buzzer at 30 seconds to let everybody know that 30 seconds has elapsed and there's 30 seconds left. And uh, because it's annoying, sometimes I'd wait for the 30 second buzzer. But that was it. I would bend over, get my grip, drop my hips, and I would go. And if I stood there too long or if I thought about it too long, something was going to go wrong.
0: (laughs) One of the other things you told me is uh, when we were talking about athletes from other sports who become weightlifters, one thing that surprised me was you said that gymnasts often make good weightlifters. Why, Why is that?
1: I think there's a lot about gymnastics and weightlifting that go hand in hand for example just to sort of follow along this mobility thread the the second most mobile athletes behind gymnastics the gymnastics athletes are the weightlifters as far as mobility because of the positions that we put ourselves in and in the performance of the snatch or the clean and jerk, and it does happen very, very quickly, but there are a lot of these great videos you can look on YouTube, for example, and see these high motion, or, um, these super slow-mo sort of top-level athletes performing these lifts. What you'll notice is that when the barbell gets to the hip, there's this major extension that happens where... The athlete, uh, the body is fully straight. The The knees are straight. The hips are fully open. The chest is open. And immediately thereafter, in a fraction of a second, the athlete is in a full, buried, deep squat with this load suddenly either on their chest or over their head, uh, supporting that and balancing that. And that takes a lot of kinesthetic awareness, and it's a lot like a backflip or any gymnastics movement where the opening and closing of the hips has to happen very, very fast. And in order to do these floor routines and uh, these vaults and things like that requires a lot of power. It requires the generation of a lot of power and you have to use your bodies. Oftentimes their arms are at full extension. They understand what it means to uh, to lock out when they're doing handstands and things like that. You know, it's not it's not this this arm, these arms bent sort of unless they're walking around. They're they're very much having to, to use proper technique when they stack their bodies up in order to be efficient when they perform and to get the lines that they need to get those points. And if you like, I'm really good at handstands. (laughs) Now I'm too weak to do a walking handstand, but supported either against the wall or if somebody helps me stay balanced, I could stand there all day long. I'm not used to being inverted. So it, it, you know, it makes my head hurt after a while, but it's, it's very, it's very much the same in, in what we're asking our body to do. In weightlifting, we're just trying to control uh, and implement at the same time. One of my good friends, Natalie Bergner, said, and she was, a, she was a quite good gymnast and an Olympic team member in weightlifting, said that in gymnastics, you're trying to move your body around the bar. And in weightlifting, you're trying to move the bar around your body. That's so fascinating to
0: me. I mean, and it, makes total, it makes total sense. Um, one of your great quotes from an earlier conversation, we were talking about technique. I know you said um, you shouldn't look like you're wrestling
1: a bear when you're lifting. You know, when, in regard to technique, you shouldn't look like you're wrestling a bear when you're out there lifting weights. If you do, you've done something incorrect, Um, there's some, there's a smoothness and there, there is a saying that we also utilize that, um, slow is smooth, smooth is fast.
0: Wrestling the bear.
1: Not going to wrestle a bear, Jill. You can't make me. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I wish you all the success and I cannot wait to listen.
0: My next guest is Mara Namanis. Mara became strong by accident. A brain tumor turned her into a superwoman. The tumor changed not only her body, but also the way she used her body as an athlete and also as an aerial performance artist. Hey, Mara. Hi.
2: Hey, Jill. So hey. nice to be here with you.
0: Yeah, thanks for being a guest on, uh, on The Bounce. So, Mari, you have such an incredible story about strength. Um, it's one that I find inspiring, and frankly, a tiny bit creepy.
2: I had been working as a physical performer. I was studying at school, and then became staff at the school. School's called Del Arte, beautiful place. And um, I was able to do like kind of superhuman things, like and like I- what. Were you like, like bending, bending, unbending horseshoes? Yeah. Like, you know, running, uh, leading students in running and then warm ups, and then, you know, going into classes and like things that like people could do one or two and I could do all. And I was like, okay, give me more. I did feel like I want to bend, uh, a metal, a metal pole, like just give it to me. I want to bend it. And, um, did it feel good? Like, did you feel like yeah. I'm super oh yeah. oh yeah. It it felt great, but I do remember, <laughs> I remember people saying, like, oh, Mars in the building, because they could hear me upstairs.
0: <laughs> like my
2: stomping through this, you know, they could hear like this aggressive, really stomping. And um So it wasn't quite normal. And I was sort of aware that it wasn't quite normal, but I was sort of using it to my advantage. But I didn't know that I had a pituitary tumor. So you had a pituitary tumor and then what happened? Well, it had to come out. And what was creepy is that transphenoidal surgery used to be they go through your brain. Now they go through your nose. Holy cow. Yeah. And it, you know, um, that was a hard visualization, (laughs) but I had the best surgeon and I had the surgeon who, who invented the surgery work on me. And it was Dr. Charles Wilson.
0: And so after, after your surgery, were you still the strongest woman in the room?
2: He said that I will always be probably stronger than people my age. And that I would always have sort of a leg up if you would. But yes, it would go away. But the thing was, is that it was my own, in my own mind's eye, it was a reference. I had a reference for being a superhero. And then kryptonite came along. And all of a sudden, it was like a different identity. I found aerial work immediately after this happened to me. And it was the only thing that I could really apply myself and feel myself in the same way as I had before the kryptonite, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was the it was a form that I could pour myself into. And I studied at the circus school. And then I got, <laughs> I kicked out, I was kicked out of the circus school. And here's the answer to your question, Jill, because I wanted to tell stories with my body and they wanted me to do tricks. And I wanted to tell stories because of the reference I've had of, you know, Superman. I needed that kind of device in order to still keep myself in my own identity
0: so even today you're you're still very strong Mara I mean I've seen you perform you are amazing you've got great musculature you've got a just a beautiful way that you hold yourself in space and walk through this earth do you do you still feel like like you're the superwoman
2: no I don't what I don't no I don't I feel that um, I feel that it's still there and I'm always trying to work it, but I can't summon it the way I used to. But I also find I mean I teach now at university and my pedagogy is used and I work with training freshmen through senior in the context of an acting program. And I feel that maybe, The work now is to work with them and they're really strong and I can always do things that they can't. And I sort of under my, in my heart of hearts, I'm sort of like, yeah, great. I'm really glad as long as I can do that. I feel like I can be their teacher. So, you know, in some respects, it's crap. Of course, yes, I do feel it, (laughs) but I can't summon it the way I used to, but maybe it's because. My attention is elsewhere now. It's uh, There's something about cultivation and seeing and directing that has sort of caught my, my imagination now. Uh, and we're all getting older, but I do think that my reference is still that same reference that I had before the surgery. I still sort of see the body that way. I still sort of see my body that way.
0: Marna Manas, thank you so very much for sharing your stories on The Bounce. Wishing you well, my friend.
2: Thank you so much, Jill. It was such an honor and pleasure to be here with you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Bounce, Sports Talk with a Spin. The Bounce is hosted and produced by me, Jill Yesco. The podcast is distributed by your public studios. New episodes of The Bounce will be released the third Thursday of the month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about The Bounce at wypr.org.